Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you are here. I hope you didn't come to Gospel Saving Church today, or I hope wherever you went to church today, you did not go to be entertained, or you don't ever go to church to be entertained. For Entertainment is meant for things we do outside of, you know, in our personal time. But for God, we ought not to come to church to be entertained. We ought to come to church to learn and and know God more and know the ways of God more so that we can know how to follow him more. So praise God. I hope you didn't come here to be entertained. This is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth, and we come to you from McKinney, Texas. So we always start with a word of prayer, if you guys would please join me, and uh, let's pray and ask God to bless our message today and help us to understand his word. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we want to Thank you, Lord God, again, Lord God, for another beautiful day. For Lord, there are many today. I don't know the rate, but I know it's high. But there's people die every practical second in our world, Lord. So there's many that didn't get to wake up today. There's many today that died yesterday that they're not in the land of the living anymore. If they made, if they made the right choices in, in this world, Lord, and they, they surrendered to you, Lord, then they get to be with you forever, Lord. If they didn't, then... And right now they're burning in hell and they were just alive yesterday. So Lord, thank you for bringing us and giving us another day. Those that are having the blessing of listening to this message and breathe your beautiful air and and see your beautiful sun or your clouds or your grass or your trees or whatever, Lord God, thank you. But thank you, thank you, thank you for giving us another day. May we make the most of it today, Lord God. And again, learn more about you. Spend some time with you, Lord, today get to know you more, follow you more, Lord, if we're yours. And if we're not yours, Lord, I pray that this message, Lord, your Holy Spirit would lead and guide and direct that person that's not yours into your loving arms. Anyway, Lord, we love you and praise you and ask all these things in the mighty and precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 18 today. We're going to finish out Acts chapter 18. We're going to be in our last verses of the chapter, verses 24 through 28. We are going to skip around through those verses today, so you want, might want to keep your fingers on the verses, or if you kind of know those scriptures very well, just understand I'm going to be skipping a verse and then coming back to a verse, which is uncommon. I'm going to read them all now, like I normally do, but then as I go through them, you'll see and just you know be aware and be a little bit more alert. The title of our sermon today is Paul's Carbon Copy. Again, that's the title of our sermon, Paul's Carbon Copy. I'm going to read Acts 18, 24 through 28. If you guys want to follow along, you can. If you just want to listen, if that's how you do it, then listen along. But this is the word of the Lord. Acts 18, verse 24 says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to a chiai or a kai, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Does that sound familiar to you? Hence the title, Paul's Carbon Copy. Now, the first thing I want to do before we jump into the scripture and some little details there that we, I'm going to point out to us that some awesome things that God showed me for this week's message is first thing I must do today is just button up or fix a small mistake that I made last week when I taught you. We just read over in our current section of scripture, we just read over that Paul was not with Priscilla and Aquila. He had, remember, taken a vow. And he was on his way to Jerusalem to fulfill that vow and then on to his church in Syria and in Antioch. And then as we read last week in scripture, uh, he went on, of course, this would be a back kind of story here. He went on to strengthen the brethren and churches throughout, you know, Asia and Asia Minor. Now, Aquila and Asilla not being with Paul was clearly evident even to the most untrained biblical eye through what we read. And the mistake I made last week was to tell you that Priscilla and Aquila actually went with Paul 
to Syria and then into Jerusalem. And I was not, I had not read ahead on the scripture for a study. You know, I had just thought that that's what the scripture said and that was my mistake. But that was only partially right. He, he did take them, remember, to Ephesus. But then, as we read in verses 18 and 19, the scripture was kind of obscure there, a little bit difficult to read, so that's where I kind of dropped the ball. Uh, Verses 18 and 19 of Acts chapter 8 says this, So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. So, therefore, that's what I saw. You know, hey, that's that's where he was. And we go on. He had his hair cut off in Kensharia, for he had taken a vow. Verse 19, And he came to Ephesus. And left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. I thought, and I taught you that the leaving them there was just leaving them there someplace in Ephesus. The left them there with the semicolon was actually referring to how he left them in Ephesus, not ending up bringing them to Jerusalem or the, and then on to Syria. So my apologies for teaching you something inaccurately. I I truly and sincerely aim to make as few mistakes as possible as I actually do fear the Lord. And he does tell us in his word that the teachers of his word will be held to a higher accountability. So, of course, I don't want to, I already know that I'm held to that higher accountability, so I fear the Lord and I don't want to make any mistakes. But unfortunately, sometimes I am human. Uh, You know, I'm always human, but sometimes I, I make flawed mistakes. And so I know God knows my heart. I'm truly earnestly trying to teach you the truth. And so... I always point out when I realize that I make a mistake, I always throw that out there to you because I don't want to deceive you. Anyway, my oops out of the way, I want to move on to these um, some amazing golden nuggets that we have in Scripture for us today. So thinking about the verses of today, still thinking about those verses that we read over, uh, interestingly enough, in case you didn't notice, there was a very powerful detail in those verses that we find when we did a little research is something that immediately jumped out to me that God showed me before I had actually done the research. And then as I saw it, I was like, well, wait a minute, let me go, let me go check this out. And as I did the research, surely what God showed me was true. What was this little interesting but powerful detail? Uh, it was the fact that Luke did not record anything, not even mentioning Paul's name in those verses at all. The whole section doesn't even mention Paul one time. That gets a big wow. And you may be thinking, well, so what? What's what's the big deal? Why are you giving it a wow? What's a wow? Because of the streak that Paul holds in Acts. Paul is mentioned for the first time in a good light in Acts 9. That's where he gets converted. You know, that's his Damascus Road experience. And then not much is said of him, so that, that streak really isn't, you know, there yet. But verse, or Acts chapter 9 is where he's mentioned for the first time in the good light. Right? But then on to Acts 12.25, that's where Luke and that's where God really get interested in Paul. Starting in Acts chapter 12, verse 25, which is the very last verse in that chapter, all the way to guess what, Acts chapter 28 which is what the very last book of the whole book of Acts, every single account or section except for one little section includes Paul and his work. He's not the main or sole character God has Luke follow in the last 16 chapters of Acts because that's what it is from Acts 12, 25 to Acts 28. There's That's 16 chapters. That's the last 16 chapters. But... 99% of those accounts have Paul as the main character and the main man that God used in his work. Again, can I get a wow? There's one exception, as I mentioned. Only one exception in the last 16 chapters in the book of Acts, and that's where God mentions here, or he doesn't mention, I should say, from Acts 12.25 and, and from Acts 12.25 to Acts 28, he mentions them in every section except for this teeny tiny little account in Acts 18, verses 24 through 28, which is our current section of Scripture today. Now, that little but humongous detail is so powerful because it means, if, if you think about that, God saw fit to follow Paul for the last 16 chapters of Acts without one break except for one five-verse little section. One five-verse little section. 
why would God pull off of recording Paul's monumental, I mean, like historic journey? Paul's historic journey through the last 16 chapters of the book of Acts are, are actually, it's converted people. Because people, skeptics like me, they go, hey, you know, you can't really trust the Bible, but you know what, I'm going to prove it wrong, and I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to go back through, and I'm going to prove that Paul didn't do what he did. And I'm going to prove that Paul didn't take the journeys that he took. And I'm going to prove that Paul didn't take the missionary, did do the missionary thing, go through all the cities. And guess what? They went to all the cities that Paul went to, and there's huge evidence that Paul was in those cities. I mean, this is a monumental, historic journey. So that little but humongous detail is so powerful because it means that God saw this teeny tiny little account of five verses in Acts 18, 24 through 28 with a Jewish man named Apollos and his interaction with the Jews in the synagogue along with an interaction between Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila, Paul's travel companions, more important than what Paul was doing. And again, it was the first time God saw fit to not record of Paul in six chapters, Acts 12, 25 to Acts 18. And then again, he, he picks up in Acts right after this, in Acts 13, and we'll, we'll hear about Paul for the remaining 10 chapters of the book of Acts without one break. That should mean something to us. Biblically, there's no coincidences. None. So what I prayed about when I saw this little yet so easily missed humongous detail in Scripture was God to show me what he thought was so important about this interaction between Paul and Priscilla and Aquila and the Jews in the synagogue in Ephesus. So let's read that. Let's read verse 24 again and see what we're going to study and see what God showed me about this easily missed humongous detail. Look at verse 24 again. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. So verse 24 just shared with us about a Jewish man. His name was Apollos. And he was born in Alexandria, which would be in Egypt, whom God tells us was an eloquent man. And we know about what the scriptures say here, that he was eloquent in the scriptures. And the way he, in eloquence, means that he spoke and wrote persuasively, and fluently. So he was a great speaker. I mean, I'm talking, this guy got up on stage and he just, when he spoke, people were like, wow, listen to this guy speak, man. This guy's powerful. He was a, he was a man that brought the attention of the people because of the way he spoke so eloquently or persuasively and, and fluently. And then also Luke tells us that he was mighty in the scriptures, as I just mentioned. So that would be eloquent, of course, speaking, but eloquent or persuasive or, or fluent in the scriptures, the Bible. That would be the Old Testament or the Jewish Bible or the Tanakh, right? We didn't have a New Testament at this point yet. Lastly, Luke tells us there that he came from Ephesus, which means that he, for some reason, we're going to learn that just in a little bit here, in the very next verse, he came from Egypt to Ephesus for a person, for a purpose, excuse me. Pretty impressive of a believer, I would say, so far. I mean, you know, there are a lot of people that are persuasively, you know, persuasive speakers that are eloquent speakers, but they're not really for God. This guy was speaking on behalf of God and teaching the word of God. But why did he come to Ephesus? Look at verse 25. This man, Apollos, had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Notice it was the way of the Lord. Who was the way? of the Lord. Well, that's Jesus Christ, of course. The way of the Lord is Jesus, right? And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, maybe you might be saying here, hey, Pastor Ed, Pastor, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've always read this section of scripture, and you know what? I do not see Apollos as being a real born-again Christian here. I mean, he only knows of the baptism of John. And it seems, by what this verse is telling us, though, that he was really a traveling minister or evangelist, because this is why he came from Ephesus, or from Egypt to Ephesus. He came there to preach the Word of God in this synagogue, which coincidentally was just like 
what the Apostle Paul did, hence the title, if you haven't picked that up yet. In fact, this guy was really a carbon copy of the Apostle Paul, all except for the little fact that he knew only of the baptism of John. And all that meant was that he didn't know of the baptism of God's Holy Spirit unto those who would turn to Christ, being that they were... Um, not, not had nothing to do with being born again. It had to do with them, you know, having the power of the Holy Spirit that came upon him. And, and really, even if he didn't know of the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be born again, uh, it didn't matter that he didn't know of it because when somebody turns to the Lord, the Lord makes them born again, whether we understand the term or not, and I'll get there in a little bit anyway. Um, but remember, this baptism of the Holy Spirit only came after Jesus Christ died and rose again. Why might he have missed the fact of the Holy Spirit baptism? Well, what most likely happened with Apollos is, as to why he missed the info of this Holy Spirit baptism was when John the Baptist was preaching his baptism of repentance. Remember, the one he, pro the one he preached to prepare the way of the Lord, right, and to turn the hearts of the Jews to their Messiah, Jesus Christ. Apollos was actually one of those who believed John and obeyed what God taught through John's mouth. Apollos was one of those people that heard John speaking and went, Oh, yeah, Jesus, we need our Messiah. It's the Christ. And he truly turned to Jesus Christ for salvation, as John was hoping for as he was preaching. And then by what this section of Scripture told us, he had a zeal, and, and he was gifted in speaking and, and preaching. So his zeal for preaching the Lord, he, in, in his zeal for preaching the Lord, he must have gone off then and, and just started going off and being like a John the Baptist, preaching the way of the Lord. Hey, Jesus Christ is coming. He's the Messiah. He's, he's the way. Uh, please understand. Just because he didn't know of the baptism of the Holy Spirit didn't mean that Apollos couldn't help the lost or unsaved people come to be saved. And it doesn't necessarily mean that he was not saved himself. Listen to what the Apostle Paul preached about what John taught and what John's baptism all included. In Acts 19.4, we'll study it next week. Paul says, as he's preaching to some other Jews that he found that had never heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they were like, hey, well, tell us about it anyway. And he ends up laying his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit falls on them. They speak with tongues. But Paul says this of what John taught. And in John's baptism, Acts 19, 4, Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying, uh, this is what he said when he was baptizing people, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. So that's what Paulus, that's what Apollos believed. Apollos heard John, you know, John the Baptist preaching, got baptized unto repentance, and turned his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, which is that's what it means to be saved. Whether he understood or knew, hey, I was I'd been born again, or oh wow, I need this baptism of the power of the Holy Spirit, doesn't matter. It matters that he turned to the Lord under John's preaching and he was saved. Uh, Apollos just didn't, didn't simply have the knowledge of uh, Jesus Christ's baptism of the Holy Spirit because uh, that would have happened after Christ resurrected, which he obviously wasn't there for to see. And it seems to me, because of his zeal for turning to, to the Lord, that he went out and preached Jesus Christ. He wasn't there. He didn't see that. I have no doubt in any my mind after what I'm going to show you here, his fruits, along with what Paul just told us, even though I did have some doubt at one time that he himself was truly a born-again Christian, God showed me that he was truly saved because of the idea that how else could he have been able to do all the things that Luke writes of him so far? God just told him, told us of him in verses 24 and 25 that he was a man that was instructed in, again, the way of the Lord. And I already pointed that out. He said, notice, the way of the Lord, not the ways of the Lord. Had he had said the ways of the Lord, that would have just meant, hey, all God's ways and laws and the way God told people to live righteously under the law of Moses. But he said he was instructed in the way of the Lord. And that way, of course, is Jesus Christ, for he's God's only way to heaven. Number two, Luke told us that he was fervent in spirit. The people that saw him saw God's spirit in him. He was just a powerful speaker for the Lord. And then, of course, would be 
God's Holy Spirit because of the third reason. And this is where this is where we really see his true born againness shine through. Third, he spoke and taught, Luke said, the things of the Lord accurately. Now listen. Anybody and practically many people out there preach the things of the Lord, but they don't necessarily preach them accurately. They put their own spin on the things of the Lord. Some do it to, you know, get you to become part of their church, or some do it to give you to get more, you know, to get you to give more money. Some do it, you know, because they want something from you. And they use the word of the Lord, you know, to take advantage of people and to get things from people and to make people do things for them. But here, this guy, Apollos, taught the things of the Lord accurately. And, and he just did it because he loved God. He loved Jesus Christ. And, and, and here, understand this to actually teach the word of God and the things of the Lord and the way of Jesus Christ accurately, what does that mean? That means you have to know the Bible accurately in order to teach it accurately. And Luke tells us that he taught accurately the things of the Lord. Again, anybody can teach the things of God, but not necessarily they're true. And number four, he was passionate about speaking to others about the Lord or the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was actually teaching others about the Lord and John's teaching of repentance, of turning to Jesus Christ, which was God's Jewish Messiah. But that's not even mentioning what Luke tells us of him in our last two verses. Remember I told you we were going to hit a couple, then we were going to skip a one, and then go to verses 27 and 28. We're still looking at the evidence here of why I believe that Apollos, why God showed me that Apollos was truly a born-again believer. Look at verses 27 and 28. And I want you to keep in mind, as we read verses 27 and 28, we never read once that he gets saved. We never read once that he turns to the Lord himself, which would be all characteristics of if he wasn't truly saved, then he would have to be saved. But, but just keep those things in mind and think of as we read this, since he doesn't, Scripture doesn't say he gets born again or saved, then think of how powerful what he does. Look at verses 27 and 28. And when he desired to cross into Kai, the brother in row, exhorting the disciples to receive him. That's, that's one big key right there. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Notice there was no, there's no ever turning to the Lord here. When he wanted to go, he, he went and he helped those who had already believed, which means they were already saved, and he helped them believe through grace. For 28, this we, see, we really see him as a carbon copy of Paul here, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Paul was famous for that. And this guy, to all we know, had never met Paul ever. Paul was famous for proving Jesus Christ to the Jews from the scriptures. So after this account with the Jews and Priscilla and Aquila in, in, in the synagogue in verse 26, we'll read that over in just a moment. Scripture doesn't say, again, that he turned to the Lord. It never says that he you know, accepted the Lord or believed upon the Lord. It already says that he just went and did these great things for the Lord, which means that he already was saved as I've been teaching. And after he preaches in and then leaves this synagogue we're going to read about in verse 26, he comes to Achaia with praises from the Christians in Ephesus. And those in Achaia receive him and he helps those who had turned to Christ for salvation already. Well, somebody that's not saved or just gets saved in a moment can't help somebody that's already believed upon the Lord believe in grace more, so, which is another evidence that he really truly was in God's camp. And then after he goes there, he proves then to the Jews, proves just like Paul, Paul's carbon copy, that he really was Jesus the Christ, the Messiah of God. Literally, where Apollos becomes Paul's carbon copy in verse 26, he's going to learn about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and literally become like Paul, exactly like Paul. And all that last part of Apollos came after Priscilla and Aquila had a, just a few words with him about the correct baptism he should be teaching. We'll read up verse 26 here in just a little bit. Now, after all of this info about this Jewish man, Apollos, if you don't call that a list of wow accomplishments, right, or characteristics that he was really someone who was born again, I don't know who you would think is born again. Apollos exhibited the traits of a superman of God and also someone who had God's Holy Spirit 
living within him, even though he didn't know of the Holy Spirit baptism. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.11 of knowing the things of God, teaching the things of God. Paul says this, even so no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Uh, That means nobody can know or understand or teach accurately the things or the way of God unless God's Holy Spirit is actually within that person. And Jesus Christ says in John 15, 1 through 5, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear good does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Apollos was bearing fruit for Jesus Christ. He cannot do that of himself. Unless, Jesus says, it abides in the vine, which would be himself. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And he who abides in me and I him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Apollos knew and taught the things of the Lord and the way of the Lord accurately. Accurately enough, here's another point that I'll make about his truly his true born-againness here, accurately enough so that Priscilla and Aquila and Luke all said of this man that he taught the way of the Lord accurately. Well, both Luke and Priscilla and Aquila, who'd they hang out with before they met this fellow Apollos? Well, they hung out for a good long while with a fellow named the Apostle Paul. And who knew the Bible, being a Jewish Pharisee, better than Paul? Who taught the Bible probably the most proficiently throughout all the Word of God? Would be the Apostle Paul. And if they gave the testimony in Scripture that the man was this kind of man and teaching the ways of the Lord accurately, they would definitely know what false preaching was. They would definitely know who was really a child of God and who wasn't. Why, you may ask, did God not teach him the baptism of the Holy Spirit if he was truly saved? When someone, think of these things, when someone or anyone comes to Jesus Christ for new life, all at once, God doesn't share with us every single thing that there is to be known about his word, does he? I mean, he didn't of me. I mean, if you you sit there and claim, I know everything about God and his word, well, then I would say you know nothing because I'm st- 18 years, I've been through the Bible at least 16 times cover to cover. Been teaching for about six years now. I, I don't even know any everything about the Word of God. I've heard teachers that have been teaching the Word of God for 50 years say that they don't know everything that there is to know about the teaching of the Lord and the ways of the Lord. So God does correct him of his one error here, of his one-off basis once we read verse 26. But again... God doesn't teach his children or somebody that gets saved everything when we come to him. What is exactly what God does when, you know, we come to him is God shares his truth as we continue to grow in him. And as we learn, as we grow, we learn and grow more and we learn and grow more and we get older in him and we get more wise and more wise and more wise. And so, Hence, again, nobody knows everything about the Word of God or about God's Holy Spirit or about God or about His Word, you know, even until death. Please also remember this poor Apollos. We can't be too hard on him because, remember, they didn't have any New Testaments at this point yet. There was no New Testament. We had the Old Testament Bible, and that spoke to us of God and His ways and of the coming Messiah, which they saw in Jesus Christ. We still don't know everything about the Word of God today, and we have both revelations of God. We have the Old Testament revelation of God and the New Testament revelation of God. So I myself was born again on day one with my relationship with God about 18 years ago, and I can tell you this, kind of like concurring with, you know, with Apollos here, I couldn't have explained the term born again then. I couldn't have explained it. All I knew was what happened to me. Hey, I cried upon the Lord. I cried out to the Lord. He came to me. There was this power in the room. And all of a sudden, this power was inside me. And I, and I just was a different person. I didn't know, oh, well, I was born again. And what happens to, when that happens is, is God comes inside of the born again the person. And he makes them new. And he makes them a new creation. And God actually puts his care. I didn't know all those things. All I knew was I turned to the Lord, and there I was a different person. Hey, I cried upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I surrendered my life to Him, and, and I changed. 
And I totally believe that this was a policy. God touched his heart through the teaching of John the Baptist, and he turned to Christ and was saved, then began teaching and preaching God's way of salvation to those that God sent him to, as we're going to see in our scripture here today. So again, I say, I totally believe that Apollos was a born-again believer, and outside of the one fact that he didn't know about the Holy Spirit baptism, I totally believe he was winning people to a saving, born-again relationship with God. Before Priscilla and Aquila, I see Apollos as an almost perfect carbon copy of Paul, as we just read of in verses 26 and 27. Once he learned of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not just of John's baptism, he was an even greater powerhouse for God's kingdom. And our next verse will literally see him become like Paul. Uh, so b- before we read that verse, I want you to keep in mind the major one detail that I talked about, so I boasted about so early on in the scripture. I said, hey, God showed me this one detail about how, you know, God broke off of teaching about the Apostle Paul and he moved on to, you know, Priscilla and Aquila and their, you know, kind of interaction with this guy Apollos and his his teaching, you know, his his interaction in the synagogue. And, and this is the first time that God did that, you know, in, in six chapters and and for the last 10, and I keep that in your mind, because I know we've been speaking about the carbon copy of the Apostle Paul here, but I want you to keep that in your mind, because that's going to be our that's going to be our big finale, and, and I don't want to spoil it for you, but I just want you to keep that in the front of your mind. I, I believe that the reason for this little yet humongous detail is greater than even speaking about Paul's carbon copy. So just keep that in mind. I don't want you to forget that. Finally, look at verse 26, our last verse of today. Remember, we won't be reading 27 and 28. We already read them. Verse 26 tells us this. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Well, keep it in your mind. That's why he came from Egypt to Ephesus, to speak in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately. Uh, Notice there Luke tells us, this is going to be big in this little detail that I'm going to point out here, coming up here, that he went into the synagogue. I'll point that out, come back to that later. And it was in this synagogue where Paul's travel companions heard Apollos and then just they pull him aside and tell him about the Holy Spirit baptism instead of just John's baptism of repentance and turning to Jesus Christ. Notice there that they explained to him the way of God, which is Jesus Christ, more accurately. Uh, This is, by the way, another reason that God showed me that he was really a born-again Christian. Think about the term more accurately. The the scripture doesn't say that they had to start at the beginning and tell them about, oh, Jesus came and then he lived and he died and he rose again and then, you know, he's coming back to to judge the quick and the dead and all who put their faith. they, They just said that they had to explain to Apollos the way of God more accurately. Well, more accurately alludes to the fact that he knew everything pretty much already. He was very eloquent. As the scripture just said, he knew the scriptures well, taught them accurately, right? The way of the Lord, fervent in spirit, but they just had to like, hey man, you you left out this one detail. I, I I can just see it now. Now, now that we've looked for a good long look at Paul's carbon copy, here's where I'm gonna bring in now the kind of like the tie in this huge detail that I've been leading up to. I, I want to get back to that amazing reason for this little section of scripture. Remember, we're in the tiny little section of scripture that has such an easily overlooked, humongous detail in there. The one that I've been talking about and kind of getting your taste buds savory with since the beginning of the message. So think of this. God brought Apollos, which was, I I deemed him here, Paul's carbon copy. This is kind of what God showed me. As I prayed about the scripture, about what to give as a title, I had already used that phrase, and God just kept drawing that to me. Apollos was just like Paul, just like Paul, just like Paul. Carbon copy, carbon copy. So God brings Apollos, Paul's carbon copy, to preach God's way of salvation, which was Jesus Christ to the Jews, the Jewish synagogue to the Jewish synagogue in Ephesus. Notice again it said the synagogue. There was only usually one synagogue per city. That, that's just how they did things. They didn't, have, you know, there were Jews in every city, and but all the Jews in the city wouldn't have been a lot. You know, they were in Asia, in Asia Minor, and Macedonia, and, and all these places where, yeah, there were Jews, 
But there wasn't like it was in Jerusalem or in Israel. I mean, the, the Jewish populations would have been kind of small. They didn't, there wasn't like a church on every street like you know nowadays. This is one synagogue per city. Ancient, ancient texts of Josephus tells us that. What does it all mean? Here's that little detail. I seem to think that God brought Paul's carbon copy to the same synagogue that Paul just so happened to have left to go to to chase the fulfillment of his vow to God just a little bit ago. Remember, just in verse 22 of the same chapter. And he brought Paul's carbon copy, Apollos here, and had Luke stop recording Paul and the ministry details of his for the first time in six chapters and for the last time in the last ten chapters. Again, there's no coincidences. So what conclusion should we come to for this easily overlooked little tiny but yet humongous detail in Scripture? Well, as I said last week, the Jews in the same synagogue were truly seeking God. And remember, they received Paul's teaching as the Christ. Remember, Paul was proving to them from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. And remember, God sees, right? God knows, right? God sees things like this. His scripture tells us so. And so God saw their response, and he called the closest possible servant of his to finish the job that Paul had started not too long ago. Verse 26, that very first sentence in the verse, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. I truly believe that God saw fit to have Luke stop recording the events of the Apostle Paul for one little blip of time. Think about it. From Acts 12, 25 to Acts 28, only five verses and the last 16 chapters of the book of Acts. That's over half the chapters in the book of Acts. Stop recording, Paul. Only five verses. And what did we read? God pointed out that there was a Jewish, to tell us of a Jewish born again, sold out for Jesus Christ, man on fire for God's way of salvation, Apollos, who was totally capable of winning souls for Christ. And, and, and he did this because he saw the Jews in the city and in the synagogue that they were truly wanting to know more about Jesus Christ, his son. The ones, remember, that Paul abandoned after he took his dangerous vow to keep a Jewish feast in Jerusalem. Uh, the ones who asked him to stay longer but he said, oh, I can't. I got to keep this feast. God willing, I'll come back. But Paul never makes it back to the Jews in these synagogues. Or in this synagogue, excuse me. So Apollos came there preaching fervently, accurately the way of the Lord and the things of Jesus Christ, very powerfully with strong arguments. And his aim was to bring the Jews to repentance and to turn them to their Messiah, Jesus Christ, God's Jewish Messiah. God led him to the same synagogue in the same city. He could, you know what? God could have sent him to another city. God could have sent him into Macedonia. God could have sent him into Corinth. God could have sent him to Athens. But that's not what we read of today. We read of not too long ago, Paul left and abandoned some seeking Jews. And here we have somebody pretty much identical what these people needed was, hey, this is Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah. This is how God expects you to turn to him. And this is what these Jews in this synagogue needed. God led them to the same synagogue that Paul abandoned, that was full of seeking Jews, again, that, Paul, that had asked Paul to stay, but he didn't. Do you see that greater, humongous reason for this section of Scripture? God wanted to show us yet again, as He has showed us so many times thus far in Scripture, that if He sees anyone, even a whole group of people respond positively to His drawing to them, on, uh, to, to Jesus Christ, like these Jews responded positively to Paul's preaching of Christ, he will practically bend over backwards and he'll pull every string necessary, no matter what string it is, 
even calling someone like the Apostle Paul, there couldn't have been three people like the Apostle Paul in the whole world. I think we got the only two we read about in Scripture. We never read about anybody else in Scripture that was as powerful of preaching Jesus as the Christ and proving Jesus Christ as the way to God, as God's Messiah, as we see Apollos and as we see Paul in Scripture. And, and the only reason... God wanted to help these Jews in the synagogue come into the saving arms of his son, Jesus Christ. Remember the, the strings that God pulled to get the Enoch. Remember we had the Ethiopian Enoch who had just gone up, right? And he was coming back down to, he was going back to Ethiopia. He'd just gone up to Jerusalem for the, you know, for a festival or for a feast or for a, the Passover. I forget the scripture now exactly. But then remember the strings that God called. He, he, he sends Philip. Acts 8, 26 through 40. Philip was, he was just, a, he wasn't even an apostle. He, he was just a disciple of the Lord, right? And he was a table server, right? Remember that? I taught that years ago. And yet, yet, well, it wasn't years ago now, excuse me. It would have been maybe a year or two ago. But Paul, God has Philip go to the Enoch in the middle of the wilderness. And why? Because he was seeking God. We had Peter the Jew do something that had never been done before. Go to Cornelius the Gentile in Acts 10. Remember, Peter didn't even want to go. God, I've never before eaten with a you know eaten with an unclean Gentile. And God said, "Shut up, dummy. Get over there. This guy's seeking me. He needs help to get into my loving arms." Since Peter the Jew, which was unheard of, pulling strings, pulling strings to get to those that seeking God. Uh, remember, Paul. And Timothy or Silas, I believe, to the Philippian jailer. Remember that. This jailer was desperately wanting to know, obviously God saw his heart, who God was. And so God allowed Paul to go there to, 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 to Philippi and to preach and to get attacked and thrown in prison. Also that what? The Philippian jailer and his whole family could hear the words that they needed to hear to be turned into the loving arms of Jesus Christ. And of course, lastly, just as the examples that God brought to my mind for this message only, of course, there's probably more, but we have Jesus Christ to Saul. Saul, although he was the biggest persecutor of the church, God also saw that he was persecuting the church because of his zeal or his love for what he knew of God. Paul was a seeker of God. He was just a seeker of God to the wrong way. He thought, no way. God, I love you so much. These people aren't going to come in and ruin, and ruin the way that you laid down. And so look at what Jesus Christ went through to get to Paul. I mean, he revealing himself on the road to Damascus. I'm sending a blinding blindness into Paul's eyes where he couldn't see after that. And then having the one other disciple come who, oh, this guy, he's been, he's been killing your people. You want me to go to him? God bends over backwards to get to the people that are truly seeking him and responding to his calling on their life. God brought a carbon copy of Paul to those in this Ephesian synagogue because he would have been the closest type to Paul and the Jews had been responsive to Paul. And in case you didn't know, I've taught this before, but another little tidbit, people usually respond to a certain type of preacher. People usually, usually respond and, and are receptive to a certain type of minister for the Lord God. It's not just anybody. That's why that's why only certain people have success preaching to other certain people because their their characters and their personalities they they combine and they interact with one another well versus combative. There are certain personalities that just don't go well with one another. So there's no coincidence that as they were receptive to Paul God sends his carbon copy, Apollos, which was the same type of preacher, because why? He, God, saw that they wanted to know more about Jesus the Christ. They wanted to know more about their Jewish Messiah, who Paul couldn't stay longer to tell them about because of his dangerous vow. God is a man of his word, and if he sees a seeker, well, just listen to what he says. Matthew 7, 7 through 11, I'm, I'm big on these verses. I love these verses. They just show me the heart of God. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. 
Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man among you is there if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Verse 10, or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Of course, that's ridiculous. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, listen to this. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That's what scripture says in the book of Hebrews. Yet, how do we find a surprise that God pulled all these strings to get Apollos back to these Jews that were seeking the Lord? I mean, it, it's just so obvious. It's, it's so awesome, though, that I love this character. If you seek, you shall find. If you ask, you shall receive. And if you knock, the door will be opened to you for God's ultimate heart. Second Chronicles 16.9, God tells the of himself that for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And of course that falls under the category of somebody that loves him already or somebody that's seeking the Lord. Because if we're seeking the Lord, we're showing our loyalty to him and the fact that we we have enough possible belief in him to say you know what if you're real i want to seek you i want you to reveal yourself to me i want to know who you are remember what paul says of god in acts 17 specifically verses 24 through 27 god he tells remember those in athens at the areopagus god who made the world and everything in it since he is lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands nor does he worship with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives the all life breath and all things and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the earth to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed time and the boundaries of their dwelling so where they're going to live and what time they're born but why verse 27 so that they should seek the lord so that they should seek the Lord in the hope. That's his hope. That's not his forced hope. We don't hope for something that we know is going to happen. We don't hope for something that we absolutely have made happen. We hope for something that's not a guarantee. In the hope, his hope, that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from every one of us, each one of us. Come on. I mean, really, Jesus Christ said, Matthew twenty-two fourteen. for many are called, but few are chosen. Well, the Bible says that few are chosen of the many that are called, not because they weren't called, because many were called, right? But few were chosen because few chose to respond to God's calling or drawing on their lives. I don't think that Paul should have abandoned these Ephesian Jews who were seeking God back in verse 21. I just don't think he should have. I know he had to because of his dangerous vow. I know that he had to, but I don't believe he should have taken the vow. Again, as I talked down last week, vows are dangerous. Vows can be deadly, as they were deadly to these Jews who were seeking in this synagogue. That God wanted them to come into his loving arms. They were receptive. Those who seek shall find. God wanted to help them into his loving arms of his son. But yet Paul left. But God, oh, oh how great and amazingly loving he is. Despite Paul's foolishness, thought, saw the true hearts of these Ephesian Jews in the synagogue and sent a prototype of the man Paul who had been helping them but had to stop to help them come into the loving and patient arms of Jesus Christ. God is so amazing, isn't he? His love just pours forth from him. In light of the amazing details that God showed us in this tiny, teeny, tiny little section of Scripture that turned out to be humongous, I want to speak to or address those that are listening to this message where, you know, I don't know where you may be today. I don't know if you've sought the Lord. I don't know if you've believed upon the Lord. I don't know if you've surrendered to the Lord. But I, I'm not sure where you're at or whether you even believe in Him. Or whether you're his or not today. I don't know. But I know this one thing. I know where he wants you to be. He, 1 Timothy through Paul to Timothy 2.4 says this. That he desires all men, that would be you, me, and everybody, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus Christ said this to his Jewish children, Matthew 27.37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem! 
But we could say the same thing of ourselves today because guess what? Jesus Christ said, if I am lifted up, which we know he was, I will draw all men to myself. Right? Book of John. So this goes for us today. Oh, American, American. Oh, Brazilian, oh, Brazilian. Oh, Russian, Russian. Oh, John. Oh, Ed, Ed. Oh, oh, Paul, Paul. Oh, Billy. Oh, Billy. Oh, oh, Nathan, Nathan. Whoever, what, how do you put your name in there? Oh, you, you. How often I wanted to gather your children together as hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And he finished that statement with, but you were unwilling, but are you unwilling? Today, again, that could be taken in regard to anyone. God has been calling and drawing people since time has begun. And and Christ said that he's calling everyone, which means he's calling everyone at some point in their lives. The question is today, are you responding? That's the question. Are you responding? The Bible tells us to be saved that we must. This is Jesus Christ, Matthew 16, 24, 25. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. That means take yourself off the throne of your life. Stop being the ruler, the master of your own life, and give the chair, the seat that you sit on, the one which you control your whole life from, give that seat to God. That's what he's saying. Let him deny himself. Take yourself off the throne of your own life and surrender to Jesus Christ. Then he goes on and says to take up his cross and then follow me. Forever desires to save his life will lose it. If you want to save your life, if you want to keep sitting on your throne of your life, if you want to keep being the ruler of your life, then of course God will let you. But unfortunately, Jesus just said here, you're going to lose it, meaning you're going to lose your eternal life. But whoever loses his life or denies himself for my sake, surrenders himself because of me, because of my love, because of who I am, then that one shall find it. That's how someone gets saved. Jesus Christ lived, died, then rose again. And any that repented their minds to believe this of him and truly say, you know what, you've got to be God. You did these things. I believe. And then they, as Jesus said, with that belief, they take it and then they surrender their lives to him because of what he's done for us. Not because you worked there or not because you were good enough, but because of his sacrifice for you. And then you surrendered your life because you saw his love for you. Then he said, you shall be saved. That's the way to have eternal life with God. But, but I understand, and so does God, not everyone is ready to just jump on and say, oh, I'm ready to take this step. For I'll tell you what, it's a one of total commitment. God says, I want all of you. I gave all of myself to you, and now I want all of you to me. Uh, But even though he understands that you may not be ready, the fact still remains that he still wants you to be saved. And he still wants you to come to the knowledge of the truth and come into a beautiful relationship with him and his son, Jesus Christ. So how can you overcome your reservations of total commitment that he wants of your life? Because, Pastor, I'm just not ready. Oh my gosh, that's a big step. I agree. I agree. And it's and it, it's, it's a big one. Jesus said to many who came to him, count the cost. Count the cost to see if really following me, if my love is worth it. Well, how do we start counting the cost? How do we, how do we get ourselves motivated to be like, you know what, I, I do need Jesus. And you know, man, no matter what, I need to surrender. But how, how, do I, how do you get there? Well, take the words of Jesus. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find, and knock. Start setting your heart to seek the Lord Jesus Christ and do it with all your heart. Don't make excuses and, and, and ask God if he's real. Don't make excuses. Stop sitting around watching TV, playing Netflix and video games, and sit alone in your room and say, God, I, I, I know you're there, but... Can you tell, show me if you're real, Lord? I want to I know. I want that 
personal revelation, God. Are you really there? Are you really there for me? Seek him. Seek that personal revelation that only God can give you of himself. The same one he's given to me, the same one he's given to all those who set their heart to seek him. God, will you reveal yourself to me? Seek that. Seek his face. Seek him and say, God, would you please reveal your personal revelation and your great love for me, to me personally. Would you please do that? And you know what? Then show God that you're interested more and knock on the door of God's heart by doing what? Crack open the Bible that's been sitting on your shelf for years and it's got dust. Seek God's face in the Word of God. Many people tell me, oh, the Bible, you can't trust it. Oh, it's not real. Oh, it's this, that, and Have you ever read it? And most of them will tell you, no. It's just what they've heard. Oh, I've read, you know, a certain section here, a certain section there. Oh, that'd be like having a 10-course meal in front of you that, that's been made at the most exquisite restaurant in the world. And you go there and you try a piece of lettuce off of one plate and, and you know, one little black olive off another plate. You can't say that you tried the meal when you only tried a piece of lettuce or a piece of black olive. You got to try the whole meal. You got to dig in and you got to taste the whole meal. Crack the word of God open and seek God in his word and investigate him in his word. For unless you truly open yourself up to God, and, up to, and yourself up to Christ to give them a chance to personally reveal themselves to you and just how much he loves you, you will forever come up with excuses as to why you, you can't surrender your life to Jesus Christ today. And Jesus Christ is calling someone who's listening to this message. This is what God showed me when I was preparing this, and I just know it. And he's been calling you for a while now. But up till now... You've been rejecting or denying his calling because you can't see giving your life to him because maybe you're saying, I just don't know what God's going to do with me once I surrender to him. But you need not worry about that. Listen to me. You need not worry about what he's got in plan for you. It's going to be good. might be hard, sure enough. But who cares? Every relationship is difficult in some way or the other. But you need not worry about what he have you to do because he'll prepare you for whatever he has for you to do after you come to him. After you bow yourself down in your heart of hearts and just turn to him and surrender to him. He just desires you to seek and to grope for him, as Paul said in Acts 17, because he desires you to come into his loving arms and be saved from your sins. He wants to cleanse you from all your sins now and give you a new life in Christ today, and he wants to give you an eternal one when you die forever. But will you begin to seek the Lord today? Jesus Christ loves you with an everlasting love. He laid down his life for you on the cross. And he's waiting for you to come to him today. Will you begin to seek the Lord Jesus Christ today or not? Please seek him. He's waiting for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much, Lord God, for your amazing word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for that little detail that you showed me in Scripture. Lord God, this little detail in this tiny section of Scripture, Lord, of just five verses. But Lord, but it had such a huge reason why you did it. There's no other reason, Lord. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's a couple other reasons, Lord, that I just didn't see. Because, Lord, you wanted to focus on that one today. That one amazing, amazing detail, Lord God, that you saw them seeking. And you sent a, a minister to them that was comparable to the Apostle Paul himself, who they were receptive to. And you saw their hearts, and so you sent them. Someone that could help them into the loving arms of Jesus Christ. Just like today, Lord God, you just showed me just now. You, you had me speak this message for somebody or a group of people, Lord God, that'll be listening to this message t today or tomorrow or someday in the future who's in the same kind of spot. They're kind of seeking you, Lord, and maybe they were needing to know how to come to you. Well, they heard it today, Matthew chapter 16, right from Jesus Christ's mouth. But Lord, maybe there's somebody who, who's thinking about you 
and you want them to start seeking you. And well, you just told them today. But Lord, just continue to draw people, continue to call people. Lord, we know it's you who do all the calling and all the drawing and all the saving. All our responsibility is, is to respond to that. Just to respond. Simply to say, okay, God, I'll, I'll set my heart to seek you. Please, Lord God, help somebody into that decision today to turn and seek your face. <laughs> Lord, you just are waiting for anybody to seek you so that you can reveal yourself to them. Thank you, Lord God. And I love you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name.